there's just something about the social, cultural, and physical landscape of Grinnell that allows for a very particular and idiosyncratic way of viewing the world. Sometimes photographers don't work on that level of cerebralness. I think a lot of photography is very intuitive. Sometimes it's all about the image. What allows me to like connect with certain people, um, whether they're celebrities or not, is just kind of like a mentality and a way of viewing the world that was developed at Grinnell. The power of a camera is that it makes time stand still. No one knows this power quite like my guest today, Lawrence Sumalong, a New York-based photographer with an astonishing portfolio of work. Lawrence has worked alongside famous clients like John Williams and Yo-Yo Ma, as well as landmark New York City institutions like Lincoln Center, the New York Philharmonic, the High Line, and Carnegie Hall. His work has made its way around the world on billboards and Grammy-winning albums in acclaimed publications, and on the walls of some of the most coveted venues in art. When I sat down with Lawrence, though, to talk about photography, what stood out to me most wasn't his impressive accolades, but his thoughtfulness and his humility. Lawrence understands that art is about expression, not achievement, and attributes much of his success today to what he learned as an English major at Grinnell. From the Center for Careers, Life, and Service at Grinnell College, I'm Meredith Benjamin. Stay with us. My name is Lawrence Sumalong. I'm class of 2010. I was an English major, uh, pronouns are he, him, and I'm a photographer, run a studio with my wife and our two cats based in Brooklyn, New York. Welcome, Lawrence. It's great to be here, Meredith, and thank you for taking the time to, to have this chat. We're definitely going to get into the photo stuff. That's going to be the meat of this conversation. But I am curious, before we get into that, if you could share a little bit about your time at Grinnell. So I actually applied to Grinnell without actually visiting the campus. It wasn't immediately at top of the mind when I was applying. However, I attended a really wonderful Grinnell in New York gathering and Upon meeting like all of the alumni and also prospective students, it was just the right sort of vibe. I didn't necessarily even have to see the physical location, the campus, because for me, community and also the people going to the school were, were that was the most important thing. It was from that sort of really positive experience that I decided to apply to Grinnell. Really, it was that moment of, of meeting different alumni and just hearing how they spoke, how hospitable they were, how engaged they were with who I was. I just remember leaving that meeting just feeling so seen, understood. And so my first year was in 2005. My time there was just really, was really incredible because it was immensely interdisciplinary. And it wasn't always like courses that were career defining or like that defined my major. A lot of the courses that I really took to were, were kind of outside of the like the main beat. I was really into creative writing when I was at Grinnell. And so took a number of courses with uh, Ralph Savarese. At the time, I, I felt like I wanted to write. And so I was involved with the SNB, the Grinnell Review. It was like immersing myself in what are the organizations on campus that would get me in touch with like-minded students and also where can I form a community where I can get a work critiqued outside of the classroom, that type of thing. And so S&B, Grinnell Review were really big. 
you know, everything you were saying about Professor Savarese, I am in his class right now, his creative nonfiction class. I'm taking that because I took his craft of poetry class last semester and loved oh, that. Sweet. He is just incredible. That's and awesome. That's yeah. Awesome. So you say that creative writing really dominated your time at Grinnell, and yet you wound up being a very successful photographer. So I'm wondering where that passion developed and how you see the relationship between your creative writing and your photography work um, having come to be. Well, first of all, uh, shout out to Professor Savary's tell if I say hello. I definitely will. In terms of like how photography happened, I think like on some really innate level, I wanted to be away from a desk in a, a stationary position and literally writing. Or like being too introspective, which I think not all writing requires that of you, but I think a certain type of writing does. I think photography was just a way to literally be on my feet, to interact with the world just in a, in a different way. I was really into film in high school. So I was like, I think there was like kind of a visual ley line to like photography because they're kind of like brother and sister in terms of cameras and, and recording and documentation. So I think photography was very much within my wheelhouse. It didn't require a whole production crew. I liked that a lot. I think being a photographer is equally as introspective and gratifying as being a writer or a poet or something like that, where you can do it anywhere. And obviously, like, I can overthink it now, but at the time, I remember, like, one of my first memories of having a camera in Grinnell is actually, like, borrowing, at the time, it was a Canon Rebel XTI. I could be wrong about the acronym, but, like, I borrowed it from the AV room in ARH, and it was pretty great. It just felt like being outside, you know? At some point, this is like around 2006, 2007, I felt like I want to take this camera and just explore the world that way. Grinnell Concerts was a huge opportunity. Now, having lived in, in New York for some time, like these are artists playing pretty large stages here. And so to see them at Gardner Lounge and have the opportunity to photograph them very, very close, it was a super amazing experience to be able to photograph like this band Fleet Foxes actually. I remember seeing oh, them. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, they're, they're touring for sure. A couple of my friends who play trombone are, are on tour with them now. Actually, my first time seeing them was at Gardner. And I remember being front row. And like, that just doesn't happen here in New York. It was such a wonderful environment to be in, Grinnell, because like, it's unpretentious. You can explore these hobbies in like a really kind of real way. Having that start at Grinnell Concerts, being able to photograph the artist backstage or like play around with backdrops or even just like the reality of being so close to an artist that you probably wouldn't be able to be that close to. Last spring, Japanese breakfast came to Grinnell. I saw. I was like, oh my gosh, that's that. Were you there? Or... I, yeah. Oh, you know, I was there. Yeah, that was an amazing show. And then I saw that like a week later, she was at Boston Calling, which is one of the yeah. music festivals in the country. She did her same show that she did for us. <laughs> she did it there, which is just like unbelievable. That kind of is a natural segue into something that I want to talk to you about, which is your photo life since you left Grinnell. My understanding is that you have worked very closely alongside Yo-Yo Ma on yeah. a, a Grammy-winning album. I'm wondering if somebody had told you back when you were photographing Grinnell concerts in 2006, 2007... Would you have been able to predict at that time where that would take you and that you would continue to photograph and that it would lead you to such incredible heights? Uh, no, no, obviously I was like, I really wanted to like be a writer. I think in retrospect, it was good to have both. That's the beauty of Grinnell. 
I really think the only reason why I like get hired for certain photo jobs is because of the lens that I like came up with at Grinnell. And I think everyone comes up with their own lens as well. Basically a liberal arts education. Like that's what I feel like separates me or anyone from Grinnell from other people, your interactions, the friendships you make. I think that's just something that happens because of the literal closeness of everything at Grinnell. I remember like Burling Library had a wonderful book loan program. There were like a number of rare photo books where I'm like, I would love to engage with this artist. And I would just put in a request and boom, like they would have like this monograph by certain photographers that I would just be able to look through on my own time. And I mean, I guess that's just libraries in general, but like it felt so easy. Initially, your question was like, how did I see myself where I am now considering what I was doing at Grinnell? Um, like with the Yo-Yo Ma situation, like it's easy to be in those types of situations because unlike other schools, like say Ivy schools, like, you know, there's a certain loftiness that some colleges really try to impress on you. And mm -hmm. at Grinnell, you have the educational and creative rigor, but at the same time, you relate to people as people. That was a key quality in terms of just being able to photograph celebrities or high-profile artists. It's just like, you just treat them as people. Obviously, some artists love flattery and they really do respect if you engage with their work in a way. But like, at the same time, it's also just not treating them like Id idols or anything like that. Yeah, that's a good place for me to ask something I should have asked at the beginning. What has happened since you left Grinnell? Towards the end of Grinnell, I really got into uh, documentary photography. That became like kind of the mode that I wanted to understand the world in. I had to repeat my senior year because I um, had to redo Latin. Most of my friends had graduated. It was kind of a, a clean slate. It was like a freshman kind of again. But that's when, when I really kind of dug into photojournalism, documentary photography. I think I was, was photo editor at the Scarlet and Black. That was really what I wanted to do. I wanted to do some type of documentary photojournalist work. After graduating, it took basically any freelance photography job that I could take. I was working for like a community paper in Brooklyn where I would just go around and take portraits, go to events, that type of thing. It, it was not really what I wanted to be doing at all, but it was a start. In those early days, you kind of have to do everything. You have to um, photo assist, you have to photo edit, retouching, taking some odd freelance jobs just to sort of support yourself. On some level, that's really unsustainable. Um, you can be doing a lot of different things, but I think there comes a time, especially for early artists, photographers in general, it's like, you know, there's this need to specialize. And while I'm not a big proponent of, of specializing and really kind of pigeonholing oneself to a certain genre of photography, having some direction and taking some type of strong step towards like what you want to be photographing is important. And so a real big turning point for me in terms of like finding the niche that I currently am in now is taking a photo editing job at this institution called Jazz Lincoln Center. It's the foremost jazz organization in the United States. They have a performance space in Columbus Circle here in New York City, in Manhattan. In some ways, it was like my first corporate job. Columbus Circle is quite affluent. Jazz in and of itself is, is of a certain type of clientele. And so that was what really changed things for me. I was just searching for jobs. New York Foundation of the Arts, they have a classifieds section. And so I remember just searching that, and that happened to be a job. And little did I know that job would change my life. 
a lot of my friends and a lot of my referrals to other jobs are from like former colleagues there. And so I started off as a photo editor. Then they needed someone to assist or take other shoots that the senior photographer couldn't take. That was my mini break, I guess. I remember my first show that I photographed was in their more casual venue called uh, Dizzy's Club. It's named after Dizzy Gillespie. And it was flamenco. I remember like photographing that. And then like the creative director at the time was like, whoa, he can really shoot. From there, one thing led to another. And I was just photographing a lot of jazz shows. I worked at Jazz Lincoln Center from 2013 until 2019, which is when I um, started my studio with my with my wife. But even then, I would say that what made Jazz Lincoln Center that particular position really special was that it was also not a full-time job. It was part-time with benefits, and it was photo editing and acting as a photographer, which is, I think, is super, super rare. I would take time off to go to the Philippines, which is where my family's from and my heritage lies. And so I would be able to take time off of work to, to still pursue my sort of artistic, personal documentary work. I really found at the time a really good balance of being able to do something that's more commercial, like the music photography, jazz work, while also affording me time to go overseas or photograph personal projects. That's amazing. That really is ideal in so many ways. And I think what is particularly compelling about that balance that you're describing is it's not just balance, but it's security especially, gosh, in New York, there's so little security for anybody who doesn't want to have the stereotypical corporate job or be part of some sort of hierarchical professional structure. I think Grinnellians are the type of people on the whole who are attracted to work that feeds the soul. And I think that the downside of that is that lack of security. So I hate having to ask this because I always have to ask it to the people who are doing the things that they love. But I have to ask about the logistics of a career, particularly as you're getting started. How do you make ends meet? I do feel really blessed with the Jazz Lincoln Center job. It really changed my life. Job security is is really difficult. Even starting the the studio, I would say the hustle never ends. When you're doing work that feeds the soul, that's unfortunately just not valued in, I'm going to say in American society, at least. And so in the beginning to really um, make ends meet, it was making some sacrifices. I lived with my mom just to save money to be able to do what I wanted to do. I still wanted to be working at photo adjacent fields. I'm quite happy with how things turned out. But especially in the beginning, you know, like you do question, it's like, wow, I'm going through all this stuff. I'm working X amount of jobs. I have no time for myself. I'm potentially burning out in a city that is can be very inhospitable. And I'm not saying that you that you have to be that martyr who falls on that sword and like that'll all work out in the end, because I think a lot of it is partly luck and serendipity. But like, I do think, especially in a city like New York, you just have to embrace that type of rat race. And it's really up to the individual to, uh, to sort of make a call as to um, whether that's sustainable or not. In the beginning, you have to have that type of blind faith that it will work out, even though that's not really, <laughs> that'd be the worst thing to say in a business plan. But like, <laughs> You, you have to be pragmatic, but at the same time, you have to afford yourself the dignity to be doing the creative work and, and leaving it open. You can't always have the city or wherever you're at be making the demands on oneself. There's just so many different ways of, of supporting that sort of passion or creative pursuit. 
with photography, it just happens to be a very malleable. And that's why I think I was able to sort of make ends meet through it because it's a tool that can be used for a wide range of, of different things, whether it's commercial, editorial, or creative. What I'm hearing is that it really is just a lot of hustling. That was the word that you used. Yeah. <laughs> I think what sticks out to me, though, is the fact that at the beginning of this conversation, we talked so much about writing and you said you wanted to be a writer. Photo was something that you kind of decided was that's how you were going to see the world. But I'm wondering if there was any particular moment or experience that filled you with the passion that is required in order to put up with that hustling, particularly in the early days of your career. Even as you're hustling, you're going to be meeting people. Some will become really good friends. Some will remain really great colleagues. And so you just keep that, you know, there's a real humanity to that. You delight in those types of experiences. You meet all sorts of people and you just never know where it will lead. I think it's just important to be a kind and gracious person. <laughs> the community that you build and the, whether it's professional, personal or whatever is what sustains the art. So that's one thing. And then you're asking about if there was a moment that like made me feel like I wanted to be a photographer. Was that the question? Yeah. If there was, you know, even just a voice in your head that made you sit back and say, this is it. I got lucky with some publications at the start of my career and that helps you build momentum. But even beyond that, I remember like if I got a photo in the Grinnell Review, I was like super encouraged by that. Those types of moments would make me feel like, oh, I could actually do something with this. And whether it's, you know, the photos now are probably like, well, I don't even want to judge the photos I took back then because I think everything is valid. There's a tendency to always look back at old work and see it as like juvenilia, but like I'm still proud of what I did back then. And I think like what creates that type of faith in oneself that you can carry it forward is just those those moments. Concurrent with like my experience at Grinnell, I actually, my brother was like, hey, you're into photography. Why don't you um, apply to this workshop with this like professional photographer? And so I was applying to like workshops outside of Grinnell for photography. And so I got into one that was pretty prestigious and it was like, put me in touch with some people in the photo world in New York. And so even then I was kind of like, oh, I could, I could do this. Having those types of moments where like, someone outside of your network or just a stranger or someone in the field is like, you know, this person has a promising uh, eye or vision. And so I think, especially in the early days, I definitely looked for encouragement like that. But I will say that that's not really a sustainable way of doing it. Like I feel much more grounded and more confident in myself, not because of what people tell me, but through the integrity of the work that I do. You know, I was doing documentary work at Grinnell and that was like very fulfilling. I was taking trips to Des Moines and staying with people living off the grid in Raccoon River, which was like very surreal even now to say that because it was like some Saturdays I would not be partying. I would just be going out to the river. It put me out in the world and I really loved being in different spaces. I think a lot of photographers will say this too. It gives you a reason to be in a space that sometimes you would never expect to be in. And obviously, I think for writers, they they do that. I'm sure they go out and they explore the world in that way. But I think there's something really profound about photographing a moment as opposed to writing about it. I think that really spoke to me. 
I had the opportunity recently to be part of a documentary film crew working on a series about mermaids. There's actually a vibrant community of people who really identify with mermaids. And I've found myself several times in the past couple months, like looking around being like, I am the only person here not wearing a mermaid tail. That's amazing. Is, yeah. I mean, this is, this is unreal. This is not an experience I ever would have expected to bear witness too but yeah I totally get what you mean about that stepping into others worlds yeah I think it's like super important and like I wish more people would have that experience in their day-to-day because I think it's a way to understand like your fellow human being and it's wonderful to be like in that situation it just like it sounds wonderful like I want to know who these who these people are why they do that it touches upon like a very Grinnell thing, like this idea of interdisciplinary and sort of the fact that it isn't um, a singular thing. It was a lot of different things which crossed different fields, topics. And I think like that's not the case for some people in other colleges, actually. It's really quite a rare thing to have different disciplines talking to each other. The documentary impulse, if you would say, is like kind of similar to that, where it allows for that type of like cross-pollination of ideas and people. You did mention earlier that you have mixed feelings about specialization. On the one hand, you seem very much in favor of this, I think you said, cross-pollination of ideas and this interdisciplinary worldview. But you also mentioned that specialization can be helpful in providing structure. And I'm wondering if you could tell me more about that and what some of the options might be in terms of specialization and what some of the benefits of specializing or not might be. There's a real line in the sand as to what I do personally and what I do commercially, which is mainly music photography. And so I think speaking towards the more creative aspect of being a photographer, I think leaving things open is is always the best way of going about things. It allows for that type of like porousness in terms of like thinking about ideas and how to visualize it and and growing as a person. Like I find that having some breathing room and not having um, the looming pressure of trying to define what you're doing in the here and now to make money or to make a statement that seems like counter to the process of, of not only just creating work that's meaningful, but also just growing as a person. And so I think specialization is like important when you're thinking about what services do I offer? How can I make ends meet? Some photographers really lean heavily on how their personal vision can be like extended to any commercial work. And that's not a bad thing. It's very much like one way of thinking about it, where it's like, hey, this is my vision. This is what you can expect from me from any commercial thing. And in my case, like, I just don't think that's like, uh, for lack of a better word, like one size fits all sort of vision is seems a little unethical to me. And that like the work that I do for documentary stuff is very different from like when I'm photographing, say, for the Highline in, in New York or Carnegie Hall or like it's it's very different. Very early on, I think people were telling me to pick a direction or focus simply to sort of maybe express a easily definable thing that you could sell to other people, which is like a real a real concern. But then at the same time, it kind of pigeonholes you from from other opportunities that potentially will help your career. Every person is really different, you know, like I'm so there's some photographers who just they want to do fashion. And I feel like that's the common move, fashion and cinema, that type of thing. But that's never really been my thing. There have been pressures to to feel like maybe I should be doing that. But I think over time, if you're doing something for long enough, you realize that the specialization comes throughout time. 
it just happens. You gravitate towards the experiences and communities or organizations that you feel are enriching. I generally think people are more than just what they do commercially, you know, especially for the arts to remain kind of like a personally expressive thing that it should, there should be something that's like off the beaten road type of thing, where it's like the personal work that one does is outside of the constraints of the modification, you know? Oh, absolutely. And you noted that you in 2019 started your own studio. And I'm wondering if having that studio and the creative control over that helps you maintain the integrity of your work and the agency that you have when you're doing your commercial work, or if you view your studio as truly just a practical way for you to continue to make an income. You know, I still work extremely hard to like make a great picture that's suitable for a client within the studio that we've created. But I think it was deliberately created because my personal work looks so different from my commercial work. The commercial work being like the stuff for Yo-Yo Ma, stuff for Jazz Link, etc., which is all good. And, you know, we're proud of it. But I think it's just important to have boundaries. You know what I mean? Like, I just find it disingenuous when someone is like, my personal vision can also be a commercial thing, which it can be for sure. I mean, we see this in many different mediums, but for myself and for, yeah, for myself, I, it, it was really important to create a studio because it just defines things, you know, visit my personal website if you want to commission me to do documentary work. But there's also a link to go to the commercial studio layer when you want something that's less esoteric and less like uh, more like what you would usually see in terms of visual media. And so, yeah, it was me. It's really a practical thing. Would you recommend that students who are interested in perhaps pursuing photography try to open up their own studio? Or is that something that just happens to have worked for you, but you wouldn't necessarily encourage it for everyone? I would encourage it. Because it gives you some agency. There's a sense of propriety and also it allows you to define things for sure. The concept of a studio will mean many different things to other people. Some people will probably disagree and say the personal vision should be a part of the commercial vision. It's not to say that what I photograph commercially is impersonal. I'm still me. But I think, yeah, I think it depends on how you want to live your life. If you want your personal work and your commercial work to be in the, under the same handle, then, then maybe the studio is just like Meredith Benjamin's studio. But I do think even taking that step and thinking about the work that you do as like its own house sounds fruitful to me because I think it allows a person to sort of think through maybe some pragmatic things that they have not before. The end result would be different for everybody. We've kind of talked around this idea of your personal style, the things that inspire you, but I'm hoping you could lay out for me very explicitly, like, what do you like to photograph? Where do you find inspiration? And what tips might you have for people who are trying to figure out what motivates them artistically? At this moment, I've kind of like been able to delineate what I do in the United States and what I do in the Philippines, because those are the aspects of my life that I'm exploring. Every year, I actually feel like there's something new to learn about in terms of my own heritage, my family's heritage, and also communities here, new emerging Asian American communities here in the United States. And so in terms of what I like to photograph, I think they're intrinsically connected, not in like a solipsistic type of way or like self-serving type of way, but like they're connected to things that I can sometimes heavily relate to or vaguely relate to. A lot of times people view photography as like photographers are photographing things that they find um, beautiful, which is one way of doing it. I, for me, it's, it's um, it goes back to like meeting different people 
it sounds rudimentary and really simple, but like photographing communities, people, societies that are sometimes connected to me, but oftentimes not. There's usually a lot of different tones and layers to it. Sometimes there's like a social justice aspect to it that I feel is important that I'm like, okay, this needs to be out there. It could be even more on the level of just like a regular, just interesting coincidence of shadows, light and reflections. But in terms of what I continue to photograph in the U.S., I'm currently working on stories with um, new Asian American Pacific Islander communities. That interests me because that just ties back to like my own parents' immigration story and how they ended up in the suburbs and the locale that we grew up in. You know, there's this term of being a parachute journalist where you have photographers from a different country flying into a different locale. I think we're in a different spot now where it's unethical to do that. And so I like photographing things that I have some understanding of, but also there's a great deal that I could learn from. In terms of like advice, I think everyone has their idiosyncrasies. And like when you're in college, you don't necessarily think about them or can articulate them in a very pointed way, but that's fine. I still feel like I process experiences and ideas for art projects in the same way that I did in Grinnell. The kernel of like what drives someone and what I would simply um, reaffirm in other artists or photographers is to sort of dig into who they are and whether that expresses itself in refracted ways. Like it doesn't have to be so on the nose where it's like, just because I'm this and this means I have to be doing this and this. It could be refracted in a number of different ways, but I think it's important to start from that moment, continue to do the work to understand that or express that. That's kind of the starting point for everything. I want to circle back to something that you mentioned, which was the term parachute journalism. Was that the word? Yeah. I'd never heard that term, but it makes sense. And I think you raise a really interesting point about some of the ethical ramifications of this documentary style work that we've been talking about and that we both have shared is fascinating and beautiful and inspiring. But do you feel like there is a defined, if not officially defined, like personally defined line where the practice of observation that is so critical to documentary turns into something more voyeuristic and perhaps, you know, crosses ethical boundaries? Yeah, yeah. Some photographers or artists are deliberate about that. Some artists want to make you feel uncomfortable to sort of comment on that voyeurism. Other photographers change their practice to account for that, where it's less of a street photography style and more community-based, where issues of consent and privacy are tantamount to that person's practices. So I think it really just depends on what the person's trying to do. I think I mentioned parachute journalism because it's just, it still happens today, which is like kind of grating and kind of like unbelievable to me. I'm a big proponent of when you can hiring someone from the community or adjacent to it or someone who has some understanding of it. Because in the past, it's been in terms of what I've heard from colleagues in the Philippines, whenever there is a, say, natural disaster or a traumatic event, you have someone assigned, not because they have a insight into the, the community, but because they have a certain style. Right. Which I think that's worked for a while and like cool to have someone that like, okay, I like this person's style. Let's see what they do in this situation. But like, especially in like documentary or breaking news environments, journalistic environments, I think it's important uh, to make considerations for the locale more so than ever to be hiring someone who's familiar or within or adjacent to the community. And so the change has been slow to have more representation in photography and, and in certain fields, but it's slowly happening. There's several um, collectives that have come up now 
in reaction to sort of the elitism and um, misogyny and also um, bigotry of certain institutions. Since I've graduated at Grinnell, you have um, a collective called Women Photography, and then you also have Authority Collective, which is like a non-binary collective. You have Indigenous Photograph, which I just, I'm a new member of. There's uh, Black Women Photographers, which is its own collective. And so that's what I say we're in a better place now than we were before. Yeah, well, and I mean, that kind of calls back to what we were talking about earlier with with job security and kind of the downside of that is that some of the most secure positions in this field almost certainly are tied to some of these institutions that perhaps have not been inclusive historically. As we move to the end of the interview, I'm wondering if you have any parting wisdom as somebody who has ventured out into the big, bad world and really made a name for yourself. It can be photography related, but it doesn't have to. Our ears are open for any wisdom that you might have. I think what makes me feel fulfilled in what I do is directly related to the fact that I tried a lot of things at Grinnell. Grinnell allows you to, to have a lot of different frames of, of reference and areas of inquiry in a community. It's a very different vibe when you're outside of school. There are more and more pressures to like sort of feel burnt out with the world, with what you're doing, with life as you graduate and after that. And so I feel like just keep it, keep it moving in terms of reading and keeping your interests open, just having the type of whimsy to go down a rabbit hole and just sort of like get lost in certain ideas. But like, it's kind of like the random ideas that, that make things uh, kind of special. I love that. Well, my final question to you is, you know, the title of this podcast is Going Forth. So as you go forth in your own life, is there anything on the horizon for you that you're looking forward to right now? Yeah. um, Grinnell related, I got an email from uh, the new director at the Grinnell College Museum of Art. She was like, would you want to exhibit at Grinnell? And so it exhibited elsewhere, but like Grinnell would be really, really meaningful. I still have to respond to the email because it literally came in today. Oh but my gosh. Yeah, I would love to. <laughs> I would love to show at Grinnell, you know, I yeah. mean, because I hope this interview has shown how much love I have for, for the place and the people because it made me who I am today. And so I would, that's what I'm looking forward to. There are a lot of other things happening that I could talk about, but like potentially showing at Grinnell College would be cool. That's amazing. Well, congratulations on that. And what perfect Thanks. timing. <laughs> not to not to make it about my podcast, but no, no I mean it's perfect. <laughs> that's very serendipitous. Well, Lawrence, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. I always love, you know, any conversation I get to have with any guests, but especially those that talk about art and um and writing and documentaries. And and just this conversation was totally up my alley. And I'm sure it's going to be right up the alley of listeners. And so I'm just really grateful to you for making the time. Likewise, I feel super honored. Grinnell means so much to me. And I feel really grateful and honored that you took the time because it it felt just felt like the right time. It's been a real pleasure. And I hope to see you at some point on campus in the museum. So thank you so much. And I look forward to seeing your work on campus soon. This podcast is brought to you by the Center for Careers, Life, and Service at Grinnell College. This episode was produced by Meredith Benjamin. Our executive producer is Katie Kriegel. Find us online at goingforthgrinnell.com. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Going Forth Podcast. 
Listen to more episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Go forth, Grinnellian. See you next time.